0: a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories,
1: but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we have a special request from our longtime listener and Patreon supporter, Chip. Loyal listeners may remember Chip from his guest appearance in episode 108, in which we discussed The Face from the Shadow. Today, Chip has another fabulous old-time radio series for us, Defense Attorney, starring the one and only Mercedes McCambridge.
0: Orson Welles called Mercedes McCambridge the world's greatest living radio actress. And given her long list of iconic roles and accolades, it would be hard to disagree. You've heard her voice on Lights Out, Inner Sanctum, Murder at Midnight, I Love a Mystery, and CBS Radio Mystery Theater. In addition to her radio career, she won an Oscar for her role as Sadie Burke in All the King's Men, and provided the uncredited voice for the demon Pazuzu in The Exorcist. Defense
2: attorney started life as an audition recording with the working title, The Defense Rests. The series found a home on ABC in the summer of 1951 and ran for a year and a half, airing its final episode on December of 1952. There is evidence to suggest Mercedes McCambridge and the creative team behind Defense Attorney tried for many
1: years to bring the series to television, but failed for reasons lost to time. Unfortunately, only 13 of the series' 76 episodes survived today. Of those, I chose an episode sometimes titled Hot Rod Accident, sometimes Hot Rod Killer, and sometimes the disappointingly prosaic Client Jim Leonard. Regardless of the name, it was first broadcast September 14th, 1951. It's late at
0: night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices.
3: Listen to Mercedes McCambridge as defense attorney following this important announcement. The United States is engaged in an immense program of defense mobilization. Its success depends upon the maintenance of a strong, a healthy economy. Increased sales of United States defense bonds will ensure that success. Here's a job for America in which everybody can share. In addition to helping your country, you also help yourself, because a bond bought is money saved. You can buy bonds on the payroll savings plan or the bond a month plan. Whichever method you may use, make tomorrow your D-Day. Buy an extra bond for defense.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, to depend upon your judgment and to fulfill my own obligation, I submit the facts, fully aware of my responsibility to my client and to you as defense attorney.
3: The American Broadcasting Company presents Miss Mercedes McCambridge as defense attorney. When Martha Ellis Bryant chose law as a career, she accepted the challenge of defending the defenseless. Jimmy Leonard was one of the defenseless. A 16-year-old newsboy charged with hit-and-run manslaughter. He is being held at the Midtown Precinct, where Martha Ellis Bryant is summoned by Judd Barnes. I want you
5: to see him, Marty. I want you to talk to him. Lieutenant Levis will be back any minute. He'll okay the visit.
6: You're
4: pretty upset about this boy, Judd.
5: I've known him since he was two feet high, and I don't think he's guilty.
4: Well, the police must have had some reason for bringing him in.
5: He owns a hot rod. Keeps it in a public garage near the paper. When he went in this morning, the fender and a headlight were smashed up. He took it to a body shop to have it straightened, The police picked him up and nothing flat.
4: Because of that man who was run down on River Street last night?
5: Yeah. A couple of people who were waiting near the ferry slip said they saw a hot rod come zooming along and kill him. Jimmy's hot rod isn't the only one in town. Half the kids who peddle our papers have ones just like it. But not with a smashed fender, is that it? Somebody might have backed into the car in the garage. Jimmy says he didn't drive it last night, and I believe him.
4: Why, Judd? Usually you're the doubting
5: Thomas. Marty, it takes somebody pretty cold-blooded to run a man down and then beat it without stopping to help. And this kid isn't cold-blooded. Judd,
4: he's just a boy. He might have been frightened me. Not Maybe... that
5: frightened, Marty. Oh, hi, Ed.
4: Hello, Lieutenant.
5: Hi, Judd, Miss Bryant. Ed, Marty wants to see Jimmy Leonard. How about it? I guess somebody better see him. He's going to need help. What do you mean by that, Ed?
7: I mean he killed a man on River
5: Street last night. You want to make book on that? Save your money. i just come from the lab. His car was in the garage
7: all night. Not according to the lab report. There's a blood trace on that smash fender that matches the blood of the man who was killed. Not only that, but glass fragments at the scene of the wreck fit perfectly into the broken headlight.
4: Can there be any doubt about that, Lieutenant?
7: (sighs) You've seen enough lab reports, Miss Bryant. Take a look at this one. The car could have been stolen. Use your head, Judd. Anybody did steal it and kill the man, they'd have ditched it in some side street. They wouldn't bring it back to the garage.
4: Lieutenant, has the dead man been identified? Yeah,
7: yeah. Name is Fred Rimling, Longshoreman he just finished a job on the docks and was crossing River Street on his way home when that young punk come barreling along. That kid isn't a punk, Ed. Look, Judd, we've been friends for a long time, but I got a job to do this morning. i got to go over to Tenement Row and tell Fred Rimling's wife and two kids he isn't going to come home. It's one of the lousiest things a cop has to do. I'd expect me to feel about that hot rod jockey you're so fond of. Lieutenant,
4: I? maybe you have proof that Jimmy Leonard's hot rod killed Fred Rimling, but you haven't proved that Jimmy Leonard was driving the car.
7: Maybe not, but I can prove that he lied. Claims he was home all last night. I spoke to his old man a half hour ago. The kid hasn't been home since he left the peddler's papers yesterday. Now, if you still want to see him, go ahead. Better you than this old man. What do you mean by that? I mean, his father doesn't think as much of him as you do. I let the old man in to see him, he'd beat his brains out. And believe me, I'm tempted. Yeah, I'm sorry I blew,
5: Judd. Thinking about myself, I guess. Got a bad hour ahead of me. It's my fault as much as yours, Ed. I didn't know about Rimling's family. I better go. I'll clear your
7: visit with the desk Sergeant, Miss Bryant. We'll take you back to the cell whenever you're ready.
5: Look, Jimmy, Miss Bryant can help you, but she can't do it if you won't talk.
8: I've told you everything.
4: You haven't told us where you were last
8: night. I was home. Your father says you weren't. Maybe he didn't hear me come in. He was sleeping. I got up this morning before he did. I see. Jimmy, how big is the place you live in? Not big. Kind of small. How many bedrooms? One. Where do you sleep? Pop and I share the room. We got twin beds. How about your mother, Jimmy? She's dead. I'm sorry. I didn't know that. No, it's all right.
4: Jimmy, where were you last night?
8: Jimmy,
5: I've always been a friend of yours, haven't I?
8: Sure, Mr. Barnes, you've been swell, Then why should you lie
5: to me? Where were you last night, son? Uh,
4: I was... No, no, I can't tell you. Jimmy, are you refusing to protect yourself, or are you
5: trying to protect somebody else?
8: No, I, I can't tell you, that's all. I just can't tell you. So well, why don't you go away? Why don't you leave me alone?
5: Come on, Marty. I guess Ed was right. No,
4: just, just a minute, Jimmy, did you ever lend your car to anybody... Was there anybody who might have had a duplicate of the ignition
8: key? No. I was the only one who ever drove it. I only made it a month ago. A bunch of us made him. We chipped in and bought parts so we could get them wholesale.
4: Mm-hmm. Did any of the other fellas keep their cars in the same garage?
8: Yeah. A kid by the name of Rembrandt. I don't know his real name. We call him Rembrandt because he goes to an art school at night. And Frankie Cutter. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're the only ones. Say, look at lady. What... Well, what can they do to me? Well, Jimmy, you're
4: just 16. And if they find you guilty, you'll be sent to the state
5: reformatory until you're 21. That's five years. Jimmy, five years. Think, son.
8: Look now, I-, I didn't kill that man. I didn't drive last night. The car was never out of the garage. All
5: right, so the car wasn't, so the police lab is crazy. But where were you? Judd, leave him alone, darling. It's no use.
4: Come on, I want to see those other newsboys.
6: He's in kind of a jam, huh? A bad jam, Frankie.
4: Yeah, I understand you have a car just like his,
6: Frankie. Sure, a bunch of us got him. We all made him together. Uh-huh. Do you keep yours in the same garage? Got to keep it someplace. What a racket. Eight bucks a month garage rent. I could leave it in the street and save the dough, but the cops keep slapping tickets on it. Hey, you got a butt, Mr. Barnes? I'm out. Uh, sure, Frankie. Here. Thanks. Guess I ain't got no matches either. Here, I've got a letter. Ah, that's a good letter. Look, if my old lady sticks her head in here, grab the weed fast, will you? She screams like an eagle if I smoke in the bedroom. Frankie, did you happen to see Jimmy Leonard place last night? Oh, why? Do you say I did?
5: No.
4: To your knowledge, has Jimmy ever gone around with a girl?
6: A girl? Jimmy, he's too square.
4: Uh-huh. Is your car
6: in good working order, Frankie? A dream on wheels. I got a carburetor on that, baby. You ought to see it go. I knock off work mo- uh, in the mornings about uh, 4.30 and head for the speedway. A lot of hot rod guys there in the morning, you know. So, uh, there's no traffic and we can race. Hey, nothing can touch that heap of mine. Do you do that every morning? Sure, it's kicks. Did you do that this morning? No. No, not this morning. I was too tired, you know, beat. Hmm. Where was your car
4: last night while you were working? Was it in the garage? Where else? Is it there now?
6: Of course it's there now.
5: Rembrandt's too. Yeah, we know. We've already spoken to Rembrandt. Well,
6: thank you very much, Frankie.
5: Judd, we better go. Sure.
6: Stick around a few minutes. The old lady went out to get some cake. She'll fix you
5: some coffee or something. No, thanks, Frankie. Thank you, mother for us.
6: I don't want to get up and see you to the door in my pajamas. I ain't got no bathroom. It's all right,
4: Frankie. We'll find our way. Goodbye and thank you.
6: Sure. Some classy dame you got there, Mr. Barnes. Keep her covered so she shouldn't get cold. (laughs) Yeah, I will. So long, Frankie.
5: How do we get out?
4: I think we came in through that door. This other one must be the kitchen or a closet or something.
5: All right, you are, Princess. Marty, what do you think of Frankie? I
4: feel sorry for him.
5: Yeah, I know what you mean. Tenement Row isn't the ideal setting to grow up in. My folks used to live in a place just like this.
4: You grew up all right.
5: I was lucky, Marty. I learned how to put words together until they made sentences. Eh, Street level, there's the door.
4: Like the end of a dark tunnel. Hudson, I know you have to get to work so I can take a cab to Jimmy Leonard's house, huh? Yeah, I'm
5: afraid you'll have to, Marty. I'll drop you at a cab stand.
4: All
5: right. Still want to see Jimmy's father.
4: Yeah, I do. And when you get to the paper, will you check around a little? Ask some of the other boys if they saw Jimmy last night.
5: Yeah, sure. Maybe one of the... Hey. What is it? Lieutenant Leibis, just coming out of that building across the street. Well, there's his car.
4: Hey, Ed. Ed! Now, he sees you, Judge. coming across.
5: That must have been where Rimling lived. Leave said tenement row. Yeah,
4: I know. Hi. Hi.
5: Hope you didn't come down here to see Mrs. Rimling. No,
7: Marty had a stop in the neighborhood. How
4: is she, Lieutenant?
7: A couple of neighbors with her now, and the minister in the church. She'll be all right, I guess, if she isn't left alone. <laughs> Two cute kids. Look, Judd, I, I want to ask a favor. Huh? Well, sure, Ed. Your paper makes a pitch for somebody every once in a while to get help for them. Fred Remling's family can use some help.
5: I get right on it, Ed.
7: No insurance, no nothing. Kill coming from work last night. The first work he'd had in three months. In three months? Longshoremen
4: should be busier than that. There's a lot of shipping.
7: Yeah, well, for some reason he'd been on layoff yeah. till yesterday. Longshoremen's Union had a meeting yesterday afternoon. He was elected delegate. I guess that helped to get him working again. Uh I better get back to headquarters.
5: Where are you going? No, I'm going to the paper. Marty's going to see Jimmy's father.
4: John, would you mind doing something for me?
5: To help that kid up.
7: Well, what do you want?
4: I want you to check the license plates on Jimmy's car. Then check the registration. Make sure the motor number on the car is right.
5: What's the reason for that, Marty? Well, it's
4: just a possibility. Rembrandt and Frankie Cutter have cars exactly like Jimmy's. One of them might have switched parking stalls and license plates. I just want to make sure... That Jimmy's car is Jimmy's car. Look,
7: Miss Bryant, his key fit the damaged car. He drove it out to a repair shop. A fella can always tell his own car, even from others, just like...
4: No, Lieutenant, but just the same check it for me, will you? I'll come down to see what you find. After I see Jimmy's father.
5: I told him. I told him a hundred times if I told him once that that car'd get him in trouble. Now look at him, behind bars.
4: Well, tomorrow morning he'll be arraigned and transferred to the county jail. And then you'll be able to see him.
5: I don't want to see him, unless I can get my hands on him. I'd like to break his neck.
4: Mr. Leonard, what kind of father are you?
5: The kind he should have listened to. I've been too easy with him. He's just like his mother was. Blood'll tell. It's what she'd do, too. Kill a man and run. She never had the guts to face anything.
4: But he's a 16-year-old boy. He's alone. He's frightened. And he may go to a reformatory if he's found guilty. Does that mean anything to you?
5: Uh, I never should have kept him. She wanted him. I should have let her have him. They're two of a kind.
4: Who? Oh, who are you talking about? Some girl?
5: I'm talking about his mother.
4: Oh, isn't your wife dead?
5: How do I know? I haven't seen her in ten years. She wanted him, but she couldn't get him. And when I got finished with that divorce court, I showed him what she was.
4: You mean you divorced your wife and you got the custody of the boy? The
5: court found she wasn't a fit mother. The
4: court found that you were a fit father? I did
5: everything for him. Tried to make something out of him.
4: It's almost unbelievable how far justice can miscarry.
5: What do you mean by that crime? You
4: never wanted that boy.
5: I took him. I made a home for you him. You took
4: him so that you could do just what you've done. Not because you wanted him, but so that you could punish him. So that you could get revenge for whatever you think your wife did to you. Hey,
5: who do you think you are to come in and talk to me like this in my own house? Now, get out of here. When you see that son of mine... Tell him I hope they keep him in jail forever. I
4: will, Mr. Leonard, I
5: will. Because
4: compared to the home you've given him, his life there will be paradise.
7: Well, here's the check on the serial number of the mortimus, Bryant. It tallies with the number on the registration slip.
4: Well, then I'm sorry I bothered you, Lieutenant. It was just an off chance.
7: Oh, uh, Judd called a few minutes ago. He's on his way over to meet you.
4: Thank you. Has Jimmy Leonard said anything
7: since I left? No, no. He's still clammed up. You know, that fool kid. If he hadn't run away, the charge wouldn't be so bad. A year, maybe. But that hit and run. What happens to a kid's brain, Miss Bryant? It's an accident. That Murdy was speeding, sure, but why didn't he stay to face it? I guess
4: he was afraid to face something else. His father.
7: Yeah. I think he hated the kid. You know the kid's guilty, don't you, Miss
4: Bryant? Don't ask me that, Lieutenant. My job is to defend him.
7: Yeah, yeah, sure, I'm sorry. Uh, I got some work to do, but you can wait here for Judd, okay? You're fine. Oh, Oh, sorry, Ed. Speak of the devil. Here's your bow now, Miss Bryant.
5: Got time to grab a bite with us, Ed? Cops
7: never eat or sleep. You know that, see you. Any luck, Marty? Yeah,
5: all bad. I've got some bad news, too. Jimmy was definitely lying about where he spent the night.
4: Why, do you know where he was?
5: At the Hotel Savarin Plaza.
4: The Savarin Plaza?
5: Yeah, there's a newsstand in the lobby. One of the men on the delivery route was making a drop there, and he saw him. We
4: well, might have been just walking through. That hotel opens on two streets.
5: Uh-uh. Delivery men saw he said Jimmy at the desk registering. He said he called to him, but Jimmy turned his face away. He said he thought maybe he'd made a mistake.
4: Did you check with the desk, clerk?
5: Yeah. Jimmy was registered, all right. Not only that, but he'd been there before. For some reason, or other, he stayed at that hotel about one night a month.
4: See, it's strange a boy like him in a hotel like that.
5: Yeah, and there's something even stranger. He'd always call in advance and make a reservation. Marty, you think he was meeting somebody or something?
4: Yeah. Yeah, I do, and I think I know who. His mother, Chuck.
5: His mother's dead. You heard him tell us that. If she's dead, Jimmy's father doesn't know about it. They were
4: divorced ten years ago. Oh, Judd, that boy's not guilty. He's hiding something.
5: Well, he won't talk, Marty. You saw that. Maybe
4: we can find something to make him talk. You go back to that hotel and go through that register. See if a woman has also registered there on the same days that Jimmy did. Get all the information you can on her. Because if we find her, I think we'll find Jimmy's mother.
5: You may have something, Marty. Why don't you come with me? Oh,
4: i got another stop to make. Yeah, where? Down at the docks. I'd like to know why Fred Rimling only got one day's work in three months. Oh. Oh.
7: Yes.
5: Down these docks ain't no place for a lady. Hoists and everything, you might get hurt.
4: Thank you very much. I'll be careful.
5: Hey, wait a minute. Don't go. I ain't finished talking yet.
4: You let go of my arm.
5: You've been nosing around the docks all afternoon, asking the longshoremen questions. You can do that. These guys gotta work.
4: I don't think what I do is any of your business.
5: It's all my business. I'm Joe Boston. You're wasting their time and they all work for me.
4: Oh, I see. You're Joe Boston.
7: Yeah. Heard of me, eh?
4: Yeah, this afternoon I've heard quite a lot about you. Fred Rimling worked for you, too, didn't
5: he? Yeah, yeah. Poor Fred. I just sent some flowers. Bad thing. Poor guy getting killed like that, leaving a family. I bleed for him.
4: Bleed what? Ice water?
5: Look, you're a pretty fresh dame. What do you want around here? I
4: want to find out why Fred Rimling worked only one day in three months.
5: Docs are slow, that's why. They're
4: loaded with shipping. I've been talking to the men. And I know why he didn't work.
7: Oh, all right, sister. Tell me. He
4: didn't work because you have the contracts for all the unloading done here, and you make the men kick back part of their pay. Yeah? Get one of them to say that in front of me. Oh, you know they're frightened of you. But Rimling wasn't, was he? He was ready to fight you. That's why the men elected him delegate yesterday. He was a communist. Always making trouble. He was not a communist. He went to church regularly, and all the men around here respected him. <sighs> One day's work in three months. And a late job, too. One that brought him out on River Street at 3 o'clock in the morning to be killed under the wheels of a car. A hot
5: rod driven by a crazy kid. You blaming me for
4: that? No, I'm not blaming you yet. You let go of my arm.
5: Sure, 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 I'll let go of it. But let me tell you something. Stay away from these docks. Stay out of my business or I'm going to... Or what, Buster? What's the matter, Marty? Judd, he's... You're a Barnes, ain't you? Newspaper guy, eh? That's right. And Miss Bryant happens to be the girl I'm going to marry, and I don't like to see her having trouble. Come on, Marty, I'll take you home. I'm
4: pretty happy you came along.
5: I looked for you all over the docks. Lucky I found you. Yeah.
4: Grimling was breaking up a racket on him, Judd. Boston looks like a man who wouldn't stop at any murder. Are you sure? He shakes the men down, a pay kickback. A couple of them hinted at it, but they're afraid.
5: Ed Levis suspected Boston of strong-arm stuff before, up to and including murder, but he's never been able to hang it on him. But, Marty, what's the connection between Joe Boston and Jimmy's hot ride?
4: I don't know. I keep thinking Jimmy's car was switched with another one just like it, But Levis has proven that's wrong.
5: Yeah. Over there is where Rimling was killed, Marty. Coming out of Pier 37 witnesses who saw the hot rod were in that ferry shed there. The car came speeding along from that direction.
4: Yeah. Oh, hey, Jud, what, what did you find out at the hotel?
5: Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. The kid's mother was at the hotel on those nights, all right. Her name's Mrs. Helen Goodrich now, remarried. Comes from Pleasanton, a hundred miles upstate. I called her, told her what's happened. She broke up, Marty. She's, she's on her way here now. Oh, good. That boy sure needs her. She loves him, Marty. I could tell by her reaction. Judd, she... look out. Watch. What? Uh, but... Oh. oh, that crazy cab driver. He almost skidded right into us. It
4: wasn't his fault. It's this road. It's like glass.
5: An oil truck overturned here a few days ago. They tried to sand it down, but it's still slippery. You hear the sand and gravel kicking up under the fenders?
4: Yeah. Yeah, I do hear it. Judd, I want to see Lieutenant Leavis. I want to see him right away.
5: Well, why? What are you so excited the about? The car
4: that killed Rimling must have driven through that oil slick. Yeah? I got an idea. An idea that may prove Jimmy didn't kill Fred Rimling.
7: Wait a minute, Miss Bryant. Wait a minute. Give me that again. Slow. Lieutenant,
4: the car that killed Rimling must have passed that oily spot on River Street, right? Yeah, so? Suppose it was not Jimmy's car.
7: I got a short answer for you, Miss Bryant. If it wasn't Jimmy's car, Jimmy's car wouldn't have a smash fender and headlight.
4: There are two other cars like it in the same garage. The night man admitted he was asleep. Any one of those cars could have gone in and out without his ever seeing them.
5: Okay, what's your point? Her point is that Rimling might have been killed by one of the other hot rods. How did you happen to pick Jimmy up, Ed? You know how. Judd, we put out a bullet into all repair shops to report a damaged hot rod. And you got a call on a car with a smashed fender and headlight. Yeah. And it's good, solid evidence.
4: But would it still be solid if you could prove that an undamaged fender and headlight were removed from Jimmy's car? Right in that garage? And the damaged ones put on in their place?
5: Ed, it could happen. Yeah. I never
7: thought of it, but you're right, It could. Yeah, but how can we prove it? Your lab can,
4: by that oil slick. The death car came through it, and that oily sand hits up under the fenders and some of it sticks.
5: It did on my car, Ed. I checked to see. That's
4: it. proof, Lieutenant. You have the lab go over Jimmy's car again. If he did drive through there, there'll be traces of oily sand under all four fenders. But if you only find it under the damaged fender, then that fender does not belong on Jimmy's car.
7: Miss Bryan, if I ever kill anybody, you've got a client. Hello, Labus. Call a lab. Tell him I want a crew at the police garage right away.
5: Uh, Ed, better send somebody to look at those other cars, too. The ones belonging to Rembrandt and Frankie Cutter. If one of them made the switch, he'll have oil and sand under three fenders. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll
4: bet on Frankie Cutter's car. Frankie told us he used to go racing every morning. But he admitted that he didn't the morning after Rimling was killed.
5: Sure. He missed the races because changing that fender and headlight took time. Uh-huh. Where's he lived yet? Let's see. Uh, it's almost 9 p.m. He should be at the newsstand by now, 5th and Madison. All uh-huh. right.
7: Hello, give me radio division. A radio, Lieutenant Levis. Put out a pickup for a kid named Frankie Cutter. He's an nosy. Fifth and Madison. Have him brought in here and held till I get back.
6: I, I didn't kill him, I tell you. I was working
7: the newsstand. Save stand. it, Frankie. You cook. The lab crew can prove that you switched fenders on Jimmy's car.
6: Might as well tell the truth.
5: Come on, Frankie. Uh,
6: Give me a butt, will you? I'm out. You can smoke later. Okay, okay. I changed the fenders and the light. But I didn't kill nobody. I was at the stand. Somebody else had the car. Who? If I tell you, he'll kill me. He's a big shot. The stuff. Real big. Got connected. Maybe we can tell you, Frankie. It was Joe Boston,
7: wasn't it? Huh? How'd you know? Was it Boston, Frankie? Come on, talk.
6: Yeah, he, he came by the stand that night. I had my car in the alley by the movie, you know. Every time he picked up a paper, Boston I mean, he slipped me a buck. A big guy, you know. So it's about 2 a.m. when he comes by. He wants to know, can he borrow my car? To a guy like him, you don't say no. So I give him the keys.
4: And when did he come back?
6: About 3.30. Tells me he had an accident. The thing is smashed up. The fender and the headlight. Give me a butt, will you, somebody? yeah. Here. He gave me a C note to keep my trap shut. I didn't know what happened. When I took the car into the garage, the night guy was asleep. So I glommed onto a fender and a light from Jimmy's car. Next morning, when I found out a guy we have killed, I, I was scared stiff. I couldn't say nothing. Boston had laid me out.
4: <laughs> Enough, Lieutenant?
7: Plenty. Radio division. Radio, leave us again. Another pickup. Joe Boston on a 224. No, I'm not kidding. This time he rides. Come on, Frankie.
5: Where are you taking me?
7: I didn't do nothing. You're a material witness. I want to keep you alive until Joe Boston isn't. You're lucky we picked you up.
5: He's right, Frankie. Boston knew we were asking questions about him. When he picked up his paper tonight, your tip might have been more than a dollar. He'd shut you up for good.
6: When they bring him in, you ain't going to put him in the same cell with me, are you?
5: No, but I ordered just for kicks. Come on, move.
7: Well, I'm putting this one in. I'll let Jimmy Leonard out.
6: We'll wait.
5: Marty, thanks. You saved a good kid.
4: Jimmy'd have to be good. If he weren't, he'd have gotten into trouble a long time ago with that father of his. That man is a real... Is,
9: is
5: Lieutenant Leavis here or Mr. Barnes? I've
4: got to see one of them
5: right away, please. I'm Mr. Barnes. You must be Jimmy Leonard's mother.
9: Yes. Yes, for
4: Let me see him. It's all right, Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Goodrich.
5: Mrs. Goodrich, Jimmy
4: will be here now in just a minute. He's he's being released. Re- released? Mm. Released? You mean he's all right? They know he didn't do anything? Mm, yes, yes, they know. Oh, thank heaven. Thank heaven. Mrs. Goodrich, he wouldn't tell them where he'd been that night. Do you know why?
9: Because of me. My husband. Not Jimmy's father, Mr. Goodrich. He doesn't know I've been married before I... I never expected to see Jimmy again after his father divorced me, so I I never told Mr. Goodrich. I
4: see.
9: Since the divorce, I didn't see Jimmy again until last year. I came to do some shopping. So I'm selling papers and recognized him. A mother knows. I had to see him after that. We met once a month.
5: Take it easy, Mrs. Goodrich.
9: I was afraid to tell my new husband. Afraid I might lose him if I told him now so late. I guess that's why Jimmy wouldn't say where he was. He knew I was happy. He didn't want to bring me into it.
4: Yes, but you'll have to tell your husband now.
9: I did. Right after Mr. Barnes called. I don't know now why I was afraid to tell him before. I got a good man this time. He's out there in the car. He wants me to bring my boy home with us. But I can't. He's still a minor. The courts gave his father custody.
4: Mrs. Goodrich, you take the boy along with you. You leave the rest to me. I'll get that decision reversed if I have to spend my life in a court oh. phone. Thank you. I don't...
8: Oh, Jimmy! My baby! My Mom! Jimmy! Mom!
4: Come on,
5: Jimmy. You know, Marty, you worry me. Why? Well, there's nothing a man dreads more than the prospect of being married to a woman smarter than he is. <laughs>
4: Don't worry about it, Doc.
5: No? Why not?
4: Because if I'm really smarter than you are, I'll be smart enough to never let you know it.
5: Oh. All right, that's a deal. Now give me a kiss. I don't want to. Come on. Well. Well.
3: You just heard Defense Attorney starring Mercedes McCambridge with Howard Culber as Judd. Tonight you heard Tony Barrett as Lieutenant Liebus, Tom McKee as Boston, Joel Nestler as Jimmy, George Peroni as Frankie, and Irene Tedrow as the mother. Music was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Defense Attorney was written by Joel Mercott. The program is directed by Dwight Hauser. Next week, another exciting adventure with Mercedes McCambridge Defense Attorney. Be sure to listen. This is your FBI. The official broadcast from the files of the FBI follows immediately. Stay tuned. This program came to you from
0: Hollywood. That was Hot Rod Accident, or Hot Rod Killer, or Client Jim Leonard, or... Jim Hot Rod, or Killer Client, <laughs> from <laughs> from the show Defense Attorney here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that came to us from a loyal listener, Chip. Chip is having
1: surgery, and it involves a bit of a recovery, and so I told him that we would uh, – Go ahead and take a request from him so he had something specific that he wanted to listen to while he was recuperating. And he chose Defense Attorney as a series and uh, left it up to me to pick the particular episode. So hopefully Chip is pleased with my choice. Nice. (laughs) It's also great to dedicate something to a Patreon supporter who's been with us from really early early on in the podcast, because this is also a special recording, because after almost a year and a half, we are back in Eric's podcast recording studio, live and in person. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) I'm not quite sure how to handle this. You're right there.
1: Yeah. It's uncomfortable.
0: (laughs) I'm so used to turning my video off and shaking my head and mouthing bad things at you. Now I got to watch what I'm doing.
1: I hate no, to break it to you. We saw you the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> no cats to fight here.
0: Well, I can't thank Chip enough for being a longtime listener and supporter and also for uh, having surgery. Thank you so much because uh, now I finally got to listen to defense attorney. I've listened before a long time ago, and I've always wanted to have them in the podcast or listen to more of it because if you listen... We did to, one. I love Mercedes McCambridge, and if you listen to this podcast, you know that I I adore her. And I'll just tell you right now where I'm heading with this, uh, there was no disappointment for me at all. I adored this episode, and I adore this series, and I love everything about it. I couldn't find anything to complain about, except for the possible, by today's standards, misogyny that comes in and out. But other than that, everything about this, the way it moves, the pace, the production, the performance, I can't wait to get into it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's surprisingly subversive for its time. At the end, uh, when – They are bantering back and forth about, I wouldn't want to marry a woman who's smarter than me, but a smart woman would pretend that she's not as smart. And to me, while, yeah, it seems a little sexist in one way, but if you look at it the other way, that is pretty much a winking acknowledge to the audience that, yeah – what we're doing is pretty subversive. We do have a show in which the right. female is smarter and they have to make a joke about it just yeah. to let the um, discomfort out of the room.
0: <laughs> you see, I didn't even, I didn't even think about it that way. So thank you. That's why you're here uh, to make me think. Better. Can I leave now? Yeah. All right. <laughs> when I heard that, I went, Oh yeah, right. So women shouldn't be smarter than men and pretend that men are smarter to make them feel, better. you know what I mean? I had that first reaction, but now listening to me like, that's an interesting take on that. Yeah. I just took that as the,
2: Having the discussion at all is acknowledging she's going to be smarter than him. Yep.
0: <laughs> right. No
2: how that conversation <laughs> unfolds, <laughs> Right. they wouldn't be having it if it weren't the case. It's
0: an interesting moment where she's on the docks and, you know, little lady, you're going to get hurt and all this and that. I guess one thing that kind of bothered me was I'm screaming, tell him you're a defense attorney. Tell him who you are. But
1: Make the, Put him in his place. The classic trope is that people shut up once they know a lawyer's present. Good I think point. that's intentional is to not tell them – who she is. Uh, also, I don't think this guy has any fear of intimidating right. anyone. That kind of is what he does. He is, uh, intimidating everyone on the docks. And it was right. the guy who was murdered who stood up to him and then See, started it the was whole thing. Kind of ambiguous too, uh, if he had been formally
2: charged yet and he, she officially was his attorney or she was just a friend of a friend and doing some digging on his behalf so that saying like, yeah, I'm an
0: attorney is kind of misrepresenting the situation. Still, she could have threw that cloud around, but Joshua just brought up a great point. Yes. Once you say, I'm a cop or I'm a lawyer, you might not get the information you're after. See? This is why I need you. <laughs> you <do> exactly-
1: <laughs> well, one of the reasons I chose this one is because in a lot of other episodes of this series, my one critique would be that we have a reporter, a defense attorney, and a cop who are all really buddy-buddy. And in the real world, they are natural adversaries to some extent, (laughs) even though they work together and negotiate. I mean, but Mm -hmm. in most of these defense attorney episodes, it's like the Peaceable Kingdom, right? It's the lion lays down with the lamb and the cop works with the defense attorney. And it's not terribly realistic. But this one I liked because there was some actual tension between who the cop thought was guilty and he did not like the fact that Judd and Marty were – out to prove him wrong. And that felt more like a real relationship. Yeah. Uh, even if they are friends outside of work, the real relationship between those three types of characters. Right. Yeah. And you got to see that outside relationship come
2: in of like, sorry, uh, you are my friend. My professional sort of point of view is conflicting with my personal relationship with you. I wanted to sort of straighten them out.
1: Yeah. nice. That was a nice scene. It's also really mm-hmm. rare in old time radio to see that kind of actual sensitive male relationship happening (laughs) it doesn't end in punching (laughs) (laughs) let's just punch each other and feel better about it
2: (laughs) that's how you showed love yep right (laughs) in the mouth (laughs) (laughs) um i just broadly this is a procedural show with Mm -hmm. awesome cast so they would have to just poop in the salad for me to not like this literally. I mean, it was like, I'm glad I didn't bring that episode.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I'm glad I didn't bring salad to celebrate our first podcast back together. <laughs> but they would have to work very hard for me to
2: not just be enthralled and, and love it to bits. And They didn't put that work in. They just went ahead and let it be awesome. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that.
0: Mercedes McCambridge has a wide resume of performance, as we all know, and we've heard a lot of her, I would say that a lot of her performances uh, have leaned toward the over the top. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, First of all, radio drama kind of begs that, especially to differentiate characters, to understand where people are. But what struck me about listening to this is how subdued she is. It's a much different performance than I'm used to from Mercedes. She's not doing anything tropey or big or it's just very straightforward and I really enjoyed her performance a lot it's got a dragnet feel to it mm-hmm. from her performance perspective I really admired it
2: and I was thinking that, that same sort of thing of like she made very distinctive choices for the character that were not meant to make it anything other than I'm a protagonist doing
1: protagonist things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then when she does really emphasize or come on strong it has a lot of weight Yes. Like at the end, when she vows that she will work for the rest of her life to make sure this woman mm-hmm. gets custody of her child, you're like, I believe that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a very strong moment of acting that didn't come across as a goofy, over-the-top... Or grandstanding Or grandstanding, in any way. or an old-time radio cliche of, oh, I promise, you know, like <laughs> an infallible hero delivery. It was, yeah, it was very sincere. Like, I thought it wasn't the character anymore. I thought Mercedes McCambridge was going to go out and do something about this. <laughs> you know, I was very, very uh, glad you brought that up. That was a really powerful moment that I loved.
2: Well, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some impulse from the creators to really talk about poverty and parenting and the challenges of trying to, to raise kids in extremely difficult situations because they focus on it so much mm-hmm. and try to do so with a lot of empathy.
0: I think one of the other things I really love about this story, forget about the production value and the acting and all of that, the story itself is how well-written it is in the sense of you're given your information exactly what you need in 30 Mm -hmm. minutes. Little things to big things. He doesn't get out of bed because he's still in his pajamas. (laughs) No, he's still in his clothes. And you realize that later. Oh, the reason he didn't get out of bed is because he had, just gotten home yeah yeah he, he hasn't worked once in three months it's a throwaway line that actually has weight and she catches mm-hmm. on to it just all these little things that for example in Dragnet, you get a lot of those little things for no reason yeah. <laughs> because you're just along for the ride in a real life situation uh listening to them drink coffee is not something that might come <laughs> back later <laughs> as a clue mm-hmm. this is a delicious red herring isn't it <laughs> <laughs> but everything that is in this is very cleverly and very neatly and, and very distinctly put in in a way that isn't also screaming, clue, 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 pay attention to this very subtle and then they all come back and that has a very carlton Morse kind of writing feel to it.
1: Yet they also take time to do little small realistic details uh, what we already talked about like the man making up in an yeah. uh, yes. uncharacteristically <laughs> sensitive way and mm-hmm. there's that great moment uh, when Judd and Marty have to see themselves out of the tenement mm-hmm. and that moment we've all had we're like uh, which oh, door yeah. <laughs> no that's a closet no yes there, a kitchen um, and partly I think it's just a nice little authenticating detail also it allows them to sort of look at the setting and Mm -hmm. leads into a conversation about living in a poverty situation. Um, And we get to find a little more information in that moment about Judd, who apparently grew up here as well and became a successful reporter. Exactly.
0: Boy girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) But setting that... Tone and scene is important for understanding all sorts of things, including motivation. Uh, and it was wonderful. Gosh, it's like walking down a dark tunnel. And finally, light. Yeah, these people are living in dark with very little light uh, mm-hmm. in general. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I really love the writing of it and how quickly it moved. It went from thing to thing very smoothly. There wasn't a lot of dawdling on things. Even... Ah, uh, let's be mad at each other. Okay, let's kiss and make up. You know, It doesn't have much to do with the plot other than uh, the conflict of trying to convince someone that someone's innocent. I mean, that's mm-hmm. important. But even that didn't dwell too long. It was just the right amount of time to have that conflict and resolution.
1: And uh, Ed, the cop, had a legitimate reason for being melancholy and bitter about this. They did take the time to say that, yeah, you know what my job is? I get to go to this tenement and tell this wife and her kids that uh, their only source of income is mm-hmm. gone. Right. Sorry, not to make it all about money, but... they yeah, no, it's with, a big theme. Uh, that's
0: important within the story. Hmm. I also like the actual mystery. I love that moment of, well, you should have that on three of his four bumpers then, shouldn't you? Yeah, and, and
1: I love it whenever a solution to a radio mystery is given through sound effects yes and so it is the sound <laughs> of the gravel kicking up against the inside of the fender and that's that's a great twist am i
2: crazy here or has the slang changed or was that kid just smoking marijuana
1: during his discussion with i think cigarettes? it's a slang because he asks judd for one and i'm assuming judd is not yeah, carrying around there cigarettes, was, there was but he does call it weed
0: yeah, I had a moment, then and, and I went, no, it's got to be cigarettes. Because he did. He asked him for one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. You want to <laughs> do a line in the bathroom? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and he says, grab the weed
1: fast, will you? If my mom comes in, she screams like an eagle if I smoke in the bedroom. <laughs> I don't know why. They, I don't know that I recall that expression, screams like an eagle.
0: <laughs> well, I love that he's 16, and she's not mad that he's, A, smoking, or B, smoking in the house, just in the bedroom. <laughs> the problem is in the bedroom.
1: Speaking of slang, I got a little confused, too. I thought he was older because I'm familiar with the expression, my old lady, as a wife, th- wife or significant other, it not was. a m- mother. I don't know if it
2: was deliberately, but it was muddy what their relationship was. I mean, I get mother, child. A little too close? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was pretty casual with mom.
0: Yes. I will say this growing up that the slang with, in my world of referring to your Mom and dad is my old man, my old lady, was prevalent, in addition to also husband-wife. So it didn't throw me.
1: Yeah, I call my dad the old ball and chain, and everyone is really confused.
0: (laughs) Every time I hear ball and chain, I think it's special K commercials from CBS Radio Mystery Theater.
1: Uh, thanks for not requesting CBS Radio Mystery <laughs> Theater, Chip. <laughs> Specifically the commercials. I love the commercials. Oh. Uh, the last thing I want to comment on is the radio kiss, which I think is really hard to pull off. Yeah. And that was surprisingly steamy for something yes. that lasted <laughs> half a second. And it's all down to Mercedes pronouncing... Well. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry that was disgusting to try to do. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, no. Again. Do it again. Do it again. Okay. Okay. Say well,
0: well again, Joshua. Well. <laughs> well. Yep. Oh, no, Tim. Yeah, but you know.
1: that's pretty much what Judd did afterwards, which was really funny. He was like, Wow, oh, Jeepers.
0: Tim, could you leave the room for a minute? Uh I'm glad you brought that up because you don't want to Because that's stupid. And it's
2: eating chicken. <laughs>
0: That's you eating chicken. That is me eating chicken. Again, okay, I feel mm-hmm. so bad mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Tim's wife. <laughs> but yeah, and we've heard other kisses, and you know, sometimes it's just silence, and you're there I have a never-ending yeah. parade of noises that are bad. What were you eating there? That was me kissing. Oh. <laughs> Wow. Now, Joshua, could you leave the room? <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was great. I, I agree with you 100%. I went, that's one of the only radio drama kisses I've heard that worked. Because sometimes they go, mm, mm, you know, yep. and that's weird too. Uh, now, could you two leave the room? <laughs>
2: You already mentioned the mystery, but a lot of times in these, I will try to look at it from, like, how would this actually go through a legal process, through right. the police and through a courtroom? And, like, this was a pretty solid case. This it was, was
0: pretty, It's no dragnet accurate, but it was pretty accurate. It was pretty close.
2: Yeah, like that's a compelling argument to just let this guy go, that they were convinced was a killer.
0: Yeah.
1: Let's vote. Let's surprise people with our vote.
0: (laughs) I know this is our first time back in a year and a half uh, in person, and I'm really glad this is the one out of the gates because it's really great to be able to say in all sincerity, absolute classic for me. Classic. It stands the test of time. I would recommend this to people. I think someone new to old-time radio would find this to be a a great, fun story. There isn't an element to this I don't like, and I wanted to... Not do that because I'm such a Mercedes McCambridge fan Mm -hmm. that I thought, oh, I'm going to be really tainted in my opinion and lean into. Well, it's Mercedes and that great voice, but I love it. It's a classic.
2: Yeah, and I I think someone listening to old radio for the first time with this episode would be shocked at how modern this is. Yes, just in the style of uh, a procedural sort of crime-solving show. Uh, the, The main character is Mercedes McCambridge, and how good the performances are, what an efficient machine the the story is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a classic.
1: Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I'm a Mercedes McCambridge fan, too, and I'm not afraid to just lean into it. Uh, She is so good in this. She is compassionate, determined, intelligent, and it all comes across in every line of dialogue, uh, both in the writing as well as her performance. It is also really refreshing to see... The boyfriend as sidekick in the Margot Lane role, who um, follows her instructions to the letter. In this, asks all the audience identification, but why? But how? Questions. It's just really cool and so rare in old time radio. Uh, the like we said, the dialogue and the world they inhabit is really surprisingly authentic. Mm-hmm. It feels. Real and occasionally it's just a little over the top, just enough to be fun, like some of the hot rod slang from the yes. newsboys. But <laughs> you know, it never too much. But I think what I like the most about it is that this bittersweet balance it strikes, where it is pretty honest with some tragic things the drunk, abusive father, the family in the tenement who are, are left with no money, no insurance. Um, but it also provides us the light in the form of the the reunion with mm-hmm. Jimmy and his mother and this promise that you believe from Mercedes that she's going to get them together again. And so too much of one would make it just too dreary to listen to, but too much of the other could make it really saccharine. And I think this just yep. hits just the right note.
0: It so, does. Her classic. Mom, his mom coming back was a great performance. I
2: do got to say, and it, it probably says more about me than the show, <laughs> but the, also the thing of like, His mom is getting a hotel room with him? What's? Oh, come on. What's going on with this show?
0: (laughs) That is you. It's just me. All right.
1: Let's hear how you kiss again. Uh, Yeah, I think it's you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, to me, this is a slightly sped up dragnet. (laughs) All right. Well... Thank you so much Chip. I hope you feel better. I hope by the time you get this you're uh, you're better. Yeah, let us know.
1: <laughs> let us know you're alive, Chip is what we're saying. <laughs>
0: Tim tell him stuff.
2: Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can link to our social media pages. You can send us messages, let us know about your health problems.
1: (laughs) And what sort of episodes you'd like to listen to while you recuperate. We just revealed how to jump to the top of the request list. (laughs) We're in so much trouble. Oh, no. Why are all these Make-A-Wish kids (laughs)
0: sending us emails? Uh.
2: Uh, You can also comment on episodes, uh, vote in polls, let us know what you think of them. And you can link to our Threadless store,
1: buy some swag, or link to our Patreon page. Yes, you can go to patreon.com slash themorals and be like Chip uh, and support this podcast. We really appreciate it. We have all sorts of great bonus things for you. We have extra podcasts. We have Zoom happy hours. We have membership cards. We have... Other things I can't think of right now that are just too amazing to even say. (laughs) I don't want to spoil it for you. But one of the benefits that will segue nicely into what Eric's about to say, I just ruined that segue, (laughs) is you get access to
0: live stream
1: versions of our stage shows. Speaking of, uh,
0: nice segue. Thank you. Uh, We do live performances of uh, adaptations of classic old-time radio shows and a lot of our own original work, and we perform monthly and have been for a very long time and we are no longer doing it on Zoom. We are now doing it live. Uh, you can see where we're performing every month by going to ghoulishdelights.com or mysterious old Radio Listening society.com and as Joshua said, if you're in the St. Paul area, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, even, heck, North Dakota, that's not too bad a drive. Come see us perform live by finding out all the information on those websites but if you can't, Uh, You can buy a ticket and watch us live. We live stream it now because we learned all sorts of things during (laughs) quarantine. (laughs) Like, hey, all this technology actually has other functions. So uh, we do the shows live on the internets as well. And then also you can watch it later uh, because we hit the record button if we think (laughs) about it. (laughs) All right. What's coming up next?
1: Next is my pick, and it is an episode of The Shadow called... Village of Doom. Until then. No! <laughs> ah.
0: mm, Tim. Mm. Hello, Tim. Wow. Well. Mm. So glad you guys are back in person. <laughs>